I didn't know Elaine was going there to bring him back, but we're glad you did. <laughs> Lovely to see you, Peter. Except, Peter, you've come a couple of weeks too late. You should have been here when we first started Acts, really. We're in Acts, as Mick has said, and, uh, and um, I suppose as an eldership, we said we need to go. It wasn't that long ago we was in Acts, you know. But it's one of those books you need to come back to here time and time again just to see how can we do better what we're doing, really, in a sense. But it's, it's more than that. We could all go on the improvement run, if you like, and say, what can we do better? Businesses are doing that every day, aren't they? They're looking at how they can do things better. But in our world, there are so many complex needs, and Mick has just said to you, what are you expecting from God this morning? Has anybody got confidence or bold enough to say what they're expecting from God? You want a fresh anointing for everybody? I think that's, I feel that too. I'm an epic, I've been a Christian now for a long time. And um, I always still I need a fresh anointing, you know, of the Holy Spirit. And as um, so I speak these words, I'm, I appreciate that some people may not fully understand what that means. But going into Acts can help us and do that. But I'm just going to pray for that. Father, we just welcome your, welcome Holy Spirit here today. Father, we've read about surprising things, things that people weren't expecting. We've, We've seen dramatic things. We've seen when the Holy Spirit came from heaven, there was violent wind and fire, tongues like fire upon the heads of those 120 people there gathered together in one place. And um, it came unexpectedly, although they were waiting for what they did not know. Lord, we just pray this morning that maybe you'll surprise us and meet our need. In Jesus' name. I've got to read... uh, in Acts 2, then we just look a little, we come to an introduction, picking up a bit on what Mick said uh, last week, so that we can sort of get the flow of it, uh, see where we're going. And uh, <clears throat> when Mick was reading uh, from the scripture last week, something hit me right in the forehead like this, and it was this. I'll just share it with you, it may not hit you on the forehead, but uh, it was, there were in Jerusalem devout men and it hit me like this when devotion isn't enough that phrase sort of was like a a scrolling thing across my head here when devotion isn't enough Richard Attenborough is a man devoted to the wonders of nature but through science not through creation He's devoted to that. You can see the man. Nothing, nothing sets his heart afire than looking at the wonders of the universe through science and through the Big Bang, as we call it. He's a devoted man. As I get up in the morning, I see the same people running past my road every day. They're devoted to running. 
I see the same people walking their dogs. I see them cuddling their dogs and all sorts of things. And I find, as I look around me, that we live in a generation where people are devoted to animals. If I look back on my life, many of the years of my Christian life, I was devoted to the church. But then that phrase began to come alive in me when devotion isn't enough. And I think that's a picture that is painted in Acts for us. You have these Jews, devoted people from far-flung places, and they came to Jerusalem. And the part of the devotion is that if they were able-bodied men, they were expected to be there at this particular feast... Journeys weren't easy in those days. Probably there was a lack of finance or one thing and another. But they were expected to be there. They were God-fearing men and women. No doubt there were others that just went along for the ride just to, be, to get the buzz of the community. Who knows? But I think we see God saying over this whole situation there comes a time when devotion isn't enough. There's some, we have to come to a place where the Spirit of God brings the reality of Jesus to us in a very special way. Then the actual fact, there's nothing else we can do to receive the goodness and the mercy of God. When, I, when I'm coming to the time I'm, I'm preaching, there's suddenly things, things start getting hold of me. Maybe little things that I've done, which are probably quite not right, things I've said or an attitude I've got in here, and it's sort of something like this. Can God bless you like that? Can God help you like that? Then I have to dismiss those thoughts and say, I have something which is more than devotion, and that's Jesus. He's greater than me. The power of his Holy Spirit at work in me is greater. So I just want to leave that with you when devotion isn't enough when devotion is enough. Let's just read this passage. It is Acts 2, 22 to 41. And immediately we're introduced to Peter's audience of where we were. Men of Israel, I don't think there's any men of Israel here today. There might be someone with some vague Jewish connection. Yeah, Eileen's got vague Jewish connections. But it's a message to Israel. But it's a message we can pick up on and learn from. Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. For David said concerning him, I saw the Lord always before me, for he is at my right hand, that I may not be shaken. So Peter's giving a sermon here, and he's reflecting back to one of the Psalms, 
which we may call a messianic psalm. It's a psalm which is written before Jesus ever came, but it gives us explicit truths of what to expect when he did come. This is what we call prophecy, and Peter refers to David as a prophet. We might know him as a king, but David here said there was a prophetic nature about David that maybe you haven't seen before, and it's found when he speaks of Jesus to come that we pick up on that. Verse 26, therefore, and that's an important word, therefore my heart was glad and my tongue rejoiced, my flesh also will dwell in hope. For you will not abandon my soul to Hades or hell or let your Holy One see corruption. You have made known to me the paths of life you will make me full of gladness with your presence. That could be a touch from the Spirit this morning, making us full of gladness with his presence. Verse 29, Brothers, I may say to you with confidence about the patriarch David that he both died and was buried, and his tomb is with us to this day. Being therefore a prophet and knowing that God had sworn with an oath to him that he would set one of his descendants on his throne, he foresaw, that's an amazing word, isn't it? He foresaw and spoke about the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption, or his body didn't decay as some of the other versions put it. Verse 32, this Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured out this, that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, the Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent, and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Amen. That's a promise. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are afar off. Everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, Save yourselves from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. The impact of the Holy Spirit at work. But you would have expected Peter to give a sermon on the Holy Spirit, wouldn't you? Luke is the writer of, of the Acts, as he was the, the Gospel of Luke. 
uh, and someone has said, the same writer writes to the same person about the same person. We read when we started off in Acts, you know that um, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote to you of all that Jesus began both to do and teach. And Mick pointed this out last week, that was just the beginning. You will see from this sermon we have read this morning that the sermon is about Jesus. It's not particularly about the Holy Spirit. The sermon is about Jesus because without Jesus, the Holy Spirit could never have come to us and be empowering us today. It's all because of what Jesus did. And um, so I, I, when I was reflecting on this, I thought to myself, how can you give a sermon on a sermon? But in actual fact, it's what we, we know. The church knows this. This is the bedrock of the church. What we read here is the bedrock of the church. This is the authentic message that the church is meant to carry. This is the authentic message that we as Beacon are supposed to carry forward to the next generation. All that Jesus began both to do and to teach. Sometimes we can get sidelined. And sometimes even with the Holy Spirit we can get sidelined. Sometimes we can get overexcited about it. I'm not complaining about that. Sometimes we should get overexcited about what the Holy Spirit is to do. But as a church, we need to hold the two in balance. One of the dynamics that, um, as a church, we like to look at and maintain is to have a balance between the Word and the Spirit. My, my, uh, my history is we had an emphasis on the Word. We used to study it night and day. And you, in, in looking at this, the Word of God, the Bible, I get so animated inside as I read it. It's like when Mick was reading these devout men, I got excited. You say, how can you get excited about that? Well, because it's part of the Word. We start reading, I, I, I get animated and excited, and yet some people find it dry and uninteresting. Do you know how you can make it come alive? It's to ask the Holy Spirit to show you. That's the dynamic. He wrote it. He can reveal it. So there's a little lesson this morning. To find the power, because this is food. God's word is food for us. And I always pray, or most times anyway, Holy Spirit, help me to understand it as I read it. Show me truths in it and reveal to me the wonders. So last week, Mick uh, spoke to us on Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, and it was really the advent of the church. Some theologians look to the history of Israel and call that church I don't think I do believe, I don't sort of accept that. I think the true church was born this day because it was empowered by, the true authentic church of God is empowered by the Holy Spirit. So that means that the, the people in the congregation and the church community revolves about what the Holy Spirit can do today for us through Jesus. 
So in actual fact, we, we come and we know that the church was brought to its true meaning when the Holy Spirit came. It was revealed in the past, and that's put far as, right back as far as Genesis 3, verse 20. It talks about Jesus coming and the work that he was going to do. So it had its beginnings right back then, as early as then. And that message was taken right through the history of the Bible until this time when Jesus comes. He goes back to the Father and the Holy Spirit is given. So it's the advent of the church. But Mick also pointed out that um, these things that happened on the day when the Holy Spirit came uh, were actually wider, broader and deeper than those initial supernatural and surprising manifestations. If we have any desire in here to follow God, any intent to be a disciple of God, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. If we have a a compulsion to tell someone else about Jesus, that they may give their lives to him, that's the work of the Holy Spirit in us, moving us on. If if, If we have the desire to go abroad and tell another nation, about Jesus. It's implanted there by the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit wants the message to be global. We talk about globalization, but there's one true object of globalization as far as God is concerned, that all men might come to know the truth and to know Jesus Christ as Savior. So that's the amazing work of the Holy Spirit. Mick also told about the presence and the power of the Holy Spirit is not limited to those experiences where we have to keep on revisiting them. So we don't have to say, oh, Lord, come like a mighty violent wind, or we want to see the tongues of fire on our head again. Be good, but it's not necessary, because the Holy Spirit manifests sometimes in the most quiet, intimate, and personal things which are only relevant to us because he searches the deep things of God. And even now, God, the Holy Spirit, is searching in your heart, in your mind, the deep things of God. That's one of the amazing things of coming together as a church, isn't it? That we're here for God to do a work uh, within us. So what do we do with this morning. But thinking about it, the Lord gave me some things to, well, I believe he did anyway, some things to say. And um, it's to look at the death and the resurrection of Jesus, which is what Peter is doing here, and see how its import and its power are relevant in the present. It is the gospel And if we read further on into Corinthians, Paul would tell us that cross is the power of God unto salvation to those who believe. It is also the wisdom of God. So in as far as God is concerned, there's no higher knowledge that a man can have other than to know his son, Jesus Christ. No higher knowledge. Whilst other knowledge and intellect is very important in this life, the best thing we can do 
is to believe in Jesus. Faith, we would call it. If you go, if you go to the doctor's surgery, you're going to a place. That's a location. But you're not actually going to the location just for the location. You're going for the expertise. You're going for the knowledge. You're going for the understanding because at that practice, there is that expertise you need for health and for healing, if you like. And so this morning, I just want to look at the death and resurrection of Jesus as a place. And first of all, it's the place of drawing. The place of drawing. Jesus said, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men to myself. This is the sermon Peter's giving. It's Jesus Christ he's presenting. He's presenting his death and his resurrection. It's relevant to the Jews then as they were meeting, which is also relevant to us. It's a place of drawing. The feast that the Jews had come to, they were drawn from all parts of the earth. They were drawn to that place. They were drawn by that, but there's a greater drawing here by Jesus talking about Jesus, his death and his resurrection. He's trying to draw them to a higher place, a better place, a place of empowering. That's where he's trying to draw them. Artists have been drawn to draw, if you like. They've read about Jesus, and you, you probably know famous one, the Holman Hunt one, there's Jesus standing at the door, and others. They're pictures which have been painted, and they've been compelled, they've been drawn to paint pictures about Jesus. And for the, someone who appreciates art, maybe, can see something in those pictures which actually impact their lives. But there's a greater drawing through the cross of Jesus Christ and his death, for his death and his resurrection, which interrupts the spirit of man, which gets a hold of our mind, but more so gets a hold of our heart. That's the drawing. It's when something, we're presented with something, it grips our hearts and captures our imagination to do something about it. So the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus is a place of drawing. There's a power there that does that. And if maybe you're going through life and you say, well, nothing, nothing seems to turn me or disturb me, nothing, I'm just bubbling along in life. There's a message here in this Peter's sermon going to have an impact on your life this morning because the cross has power to draw when Jesus said if I be lifted up I will draw all men to myself it's not me saying that everyone will have a part in that or everyone will come what it does mean is that no one person ever born is outside of what Jesus has done for us no one is outside the scope of what Jesus can do for you. No one single person is excluded by discrimination. 
whoever we are, whatever we are, rich, poor, simple, or intellectual, no one is outside the scope of the cross. We might, people might say, well, I don't understand it. That doesn't mean to say you're outside the scope of what Jesus did. Because actually, Jesus, what Jesus did was for all people. It was for humanity. That which touches the core part of our lives, the real person. That's what draws us. The cross can do that. If you say, well, I don't feel drawn. You could ask the Holy Spirit to draw you this morning. I want to understand more. I want to be drawn. Do you want to be drawn? Or are you satisfied where you are? The Holy Spirit draws people in a compelling and powerful way. Not only is it a place of drawing, it's a place of arriving. What is your goal or ambition in life? Well, I'm 73 now, and I don't know what my goal or ambition in life is. I'm still trying to find it. Well, I'm still trying to find it anyway. But um, is there a goal? For someone who is advanced in age, it's difficult to find a goal or ambition. But I think it doesn't take us long to look out into life around us and find that there are so many goals and ambitions. Your bucket list. Fulfilling your bucket list. Doing those things you want to do. What is your goal, your ambition? To be top of your game. That's a core thing in life, isn't it? To be top of your game. To be the highest earner. Perhaps win the lottery. We may be laughing, but that's some people's goal. That's the goal. I just want to say this morning, when we come to Jesus, we find what his death, what his resurrection, what the Holy Spirit can do for us. It's a place of arriving. Do you know there's no further place that you can go? It's the highest call of God upon a person's life is to know Jesus Christ as Savior. No better thing can we find. No better thing can we find. A place of arriving. You know, the man we know as Paul in the Bible who wrote many letters, he said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. His goal was Christ. Sometimes we do need to think what really, what really moves me and what tickles my fancy. What am I here for? What is my goal? But this is a goal you can have right to 99 and a half and beyond. Christ. Paul said to be found in him. To be found in him. Christ alone. It's also a place of seeing, knowing, and understanding. Revelation is one of the greatest gifts that God has for humanity. Going back to David Attenborough, 
I get frustrated sometimes and say, why doesn't God reveal to him the wonders of creation? Why doesn't God reveal that to him? Who knows? I don't know who can answer that question. But revelation is an amazing gift that God has for humanity. And if we really want God to reveal to us his heart and his mind, he will do. Are you still asking questions this morning? He will reveal because God is a revealing God. Peter has taken us back to one of the Psalms that David wrote. And God revealed to David, not to understand necessarily, but he revealed to him that amazing truth about Jesus' death and resurrection, which was to happen in the future. So that puts our Bible together, Old Testament and New Testament for a start. It also puts history in a place of God's story, that he has a plan. And that's just to take one psalm. It puts it all together. But when we come to the cross, the death and the resurrection of Jesus, it's a place of seeing, knowing and understanding. It's a place of revelation. In Hebrews 11, it talks about by faith, we understand. Faith first, understanding next. It doesn't say by understanding, we will find faith. It says by faith, we understand. And that's a key point about Revelation. And if we come and accept this amazing news, the facets of this story which Peter's given, we accept that by faith, we will find understanding will then come. And I would suggest to you the cross is the place we start. Jesus' death and his resurrection is the starting place. God has said that. Don't try and understand it first. Believe it first. Faith. That amazing, another amazing gift of God. There is a verse which says this. The heart of man is deceitful and above all, desperately wicked. Now that's in the truth in itself. But there's a phrase that follows this, and it says, who can know it? Who can know it? It was only the other day, John and I were discussing, <laughs> just, you know, just talking as friends, really, how awful we are, really. How awful, you know, how desperately wicked we are, really, inside. You know, outside of Jesus, we're just in ourselves. We're no hopers. <laughs> but God knows that. But to have that revealed to us in a way that we can make the next step is a work of revelation. You could talk to anybody around and they say, well, I... One of the things you hear so commonly that people say, I've never done anything wrong to my neighbour. 
I haven't hurt anybody. I haven't murdered anyone. Is a good one, April. Yes, that's right. We haven't murdered anyone. But Jesus touched at the heart of this. You say, an actual fact, if you actually think it, you've done it. <laughs> but we do need that to be revealed to us because that impresses on us how much we needed Jesus to die for us and to give his life for us. The heart of man is deceitful and above all, desperately wicked. Who can know it? Who can know it? In actual fact, we need to know it by revelation that God can give to us his son, Jesus. That's a place of understanding, revelation. In the famous book, Pilgrim's Progress, it is at the cross where he first saw the light and then the burden of his heart rolled away. The cross, he first saw the light. It's the door which opens to the spirit of man when we come to Jesus, the point of revelation. So we need to be very privileged if we know Jesus Christ as Saviour. We need to consider ourselves so important to God and so wonderfully accepted, so privileged if we've given our lives to Jesus because that's the privilege, such a privileged place to be. It's a place of pondering the death and the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. When I was nine, I'd sung a song many, many times. There were many songs I'd sung many, many times. But there's this one song we used to sing. It is a thing most wonderful, almost too wonderful to be that God's own son should come from heaven and die to save a child like me. But this is the verse, and this is probably the verse that brought me to salvation when I was nine years of age. Place of pondering. I sometimes think about the cross and shut my eyes and try to see the cruel nails and crown of thorns and Jesus crucified for me. And I can remember that night, my head on the pillow, I could see the cross so clearly. And I was shutting my eyes and I was trying to see. But all it was was simple faith. Jesus, I believe in you and I, you died to save me. Thank you. Accept me. And he did. A place of pondering. When Jesus was crucified, Matthew gives an account of the people and the groups that stood around the cross. Some were throwing dice for his clothes. Others were sitting there keeping watch. The soldiers there were just keeping tab on the events that were going on. There in the distance was a group of women sitting watch was going on. But there's two people that stood out, two people that stood out particularly at that time. And they were people who were pondering. The first one who was pondering was the thief who was crucified on the cross next to Jesus. And the whole elements of Peter's message, his sermon on that day, 
which he gave are seen in that story of the thief. And I'll just run through them quickly. Don't you fear God? Is what the thief cried out. Now we're told that he, there were two robbers, and both of them, both of them were mocking Jesus and casting the same in his teeth. Both of them were. So at some point, one of these robbers changed his mind. That's repentance. To change your mind. He was mocking Jesus, but he changed his mind. And he said, don't you fear God? That's an important place to be. You know, as I look around me, I hear people saying, God's not interested. He's not interested in me. He's not interested in my situation. What can God do? He can't do anything. Oh, I'm too bad. I'm too awful. It's not my fault. Well, they do it, so it's all right for me to do it. God can't forgive me. The fear of God will say to us, God can do something about it. It will say, God is interested in me. God is part of my life. God can help me, and he will. And you know, that's what this man did. He realized at a point that Jesus could do something for him. Here's a man pinned to the same cross, to a cross like Jesus was. He was a man in pain. He was a man in suffering. He was man racked with the same pain almost as Jesus. Hanging there. And he's pondering what was going on, looking around, seeing the people. And he saw this, Jesus is both the victim and the victor. He saw Jesus as a victim and he saw him as the victor. He saw him, he saw a travesty at that time, but he also saw the triumph. And that's what Peter's message talks about. It talked about Jesus was both a victim, but he was also the victor. There was a travesty of justice on Jesus' life, but he triumphed. He came through. That's what Peter referred to in the Psalms. He also saw that Jesus was incomparable in righteousness. This man, we've gone according to our sins, but this man has done nothing amiss. This man was incomparable in righteousness. Jesus is the king with an enduring kingdom. He said, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Jesus is a king with an enduring kingdom. He does what the gospel calls us all to do. He changes his mind, he repents, he calls on his name, and he makes confession. He makes confession of his life. And that's what Peter said at the end of his message, wasn't it? And they said, what shall we do? He said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the Holy Spirit. Now, you can't see much of the robber here receiving the Holy Spirit, but that was the work of the Holy Spirit in his life. There's no doubt about that, because it turned him. What's going to turn you? What's going to turn me? 
It's the death and the resurrection of Jesus that's going to turn us. Turn us, because that's what he did for us. We also see the great statement of the Reformation in that story of the robber. We see, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. So here's a man pinned to a wooden cross. He can't do a thing. All he could do was change his mind, say, I receive it, Jesus. That's faith alone. He couldn't do any good works. He couldn't make remission for his past. He couldn't be baptized. He couldn't do anything that probably normal Christians might want to do when they follow Jesus Christ. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is telling us, it's the same for us, it's by faith alone. That's one of the things that story demonstrates so very clearly. He could do nothing else but believe in the power and the life and death of Jesus, which is what he did. The last thing I come to, that was a place of pondering as we ponder anew what the Almighty can do. The hymn writer said that. It's a place of empowering. And that's what we, where we come to, really, with the whole story. Because that life and death and resurrection of Jesus was what God received. And then the Holy Spirit came. David said in the Psalms, and Peter points it out to us, he will make known to us the path of life. So the Holy Spirit empowers us for revelation if we want to know the path of life for us. It empowers us for confidence. David said, I shall not be moved because of you, Lord. I shall not be moved. Where does your confidence lie this morning in life and death and what God can do for you? Yeah, we're expecting what the Holy Spirit can do. And he wants to give us more confidence, more trust in what he can do for us. And so at the beginning, Mick said, you know, what do you think you want the Holy Spirit to do for you this morning? I would just encourage you to ponder the cross Receive the Holy Spirit. Say, look, Spirit of God, I want you. I want you to come. I just want you to change my situation. I just want, I just want to, to know you more. I just want to come to that place. I want confidence. In that psalm, he was empowered to know that there was life beyond death. He was empowered to know that God is the God of joy. How is your joy this morning? <laughs> Are you sort of down by something? Is there some little thing you just can't get rid of? God wants to just take that. We're going to come to worship in a moment, and I just encourage you to reach out to God to do for you what He wants Him to do, to give you joy and peace, to know the path of life, to find that depth which we also need.
which is birthed in the cross of Jesus Christ, his life, his death, and his resurrection. Thank you, Father. Father, as we, we worship on now, we pray that we might be empowered to worship in spirit and in truth. Help us, Lord, as we see amazing Jesus, amazing love, how can this be that thou, my God, should die for me? Tis mystery all, the immortal dies. Who can explain this strange design? But it is a design, Jesus, we come to you. Lord, help us to worship, empower us, Lord, by your Holy Spirit. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us afresh, fill us anew. Thank you, Rachel.